Hey there, I'm Everett. I'm Baron. And welcome to Bro, Bro Have, Have You Seen? Hey, bro, what's up? How's it going, bro? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. How was your movie week? It's pretty good. It's been kind of a trend where... Uh, <laughs> hasn't been great because of school and other obligations but yeah i always find time of course and uh, i had some time while i was traveling this weekend and this upcoming weekend i'll have some more time to travel and have a bunch of time to watch some movies so nice yeah it's always always the obligatory uh explanation of the fact that we have school work and (laughs) didn't get a lot movies seen however this week i did see a lot of movies nice i've been working on this american cinema project of mine yeah where this year i focus on American movies, biggest blind spots. I might have said that before, but I don't remember. But it's been really good. Uh, Seeing a lot of horror. I'm focusing on horror right now. So I watched a bunch of classic monster movies and uh, some more modern, ultra gory ones that I also really like. So yeah, kind of just been watching whatever. But we'll talk about that at the end of the episode with our entertaining us this week segment. Definitely, definitely. Uh, We'll get right into it here. So, influenced by the French New Wave of cinema, many iconoclastic American writers and directors took to the page and the camera to make films that reflected their unique artistic voices in a more direct manner. Hal Ashby was one of these, and his 1971 feature is nothing if not unique. The film centers around a young man, probably in his 20s, although it's never explicitly stated, who is fascinated by death. He play-acts suicides to upset his mother and attends funerals for entertainment. One day at a funeral, he meets Maud, a septuagenarian who takes life one day at a time, watching things grow and die, fascinated by the circle of life. Maud is the perfect foil for Harold in many ways, but none so prominently as in her view on life. Roger Ebert gave it 1.5 stars out of 4 at the time, while many others praised its originality and willingness to go beyond the obvious beats of a romantic comedy. This unconventional love story surprised audiences at the time and continues to do so. This week, I'm asking, bro, have you seen Harold and Maude? Baron, were you surprised? And if so, are you more on the side of Ebert? Or would you perhaps review this film more favorably? Yeah, uh, you have been recommending this to me for a while, and you always told me to go in completely cold. I'm very glad I did. That synopsis that you said doesn't really explain too many things, so I think it's still vague enough that if anyone's interested in watching this, it's still really good to go in cold, as with many things. This movie is super weird. I've enjoyed it. I don't, I don't know. I, I did enjoy it, but I'm still not sure how I totally feel about it. Still kind of digesting it. Mm. But I think I would have to side more. I, I don't think I really agree with Ebert on this one. I think this is a much more original movie and unique movie than his criticisms are of it. I think it's it's fun, and it has lots of interesting themes and ideas that are very thought-provoking, and I think that's like one of the biggest things about this movie, and also lots of other contexts around it and what it was doing at the time. And so those are kind of, you know, some basic things, I think, about it. Um, nice. But some reasons why maybe I didn't like it or others may not like it. Um, this movie, uh, just as a warning, is pretty heavy into, like, suicide, and so if that's something that's sensitive, you know, maybe... Maybe not check this one out, but besides that, it's not very violent. Well, I don't know. It's kind of violent at times, but <laughs> it's 
non-realistic, I guess, and it's... Yeah, it's kind it's of played for laughs. It's yeah. kind of... It's not focused on too heavily in the movie. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, there's a lot of them, a lot of the little suicide things that he does, but as the movie progresses, it becomes a lot more life-affirming, positive, happy, yeah. you know, all those good things. So. Yeah. I don't know. Some other things, it is very quirky and strange... And that's, I don't know, that's about all I have. I don't really know any, like, super drawbacks to this. Uh, I was definitely interested in checking it out, and I would have to recommend it to anyone else. So there's not really anything that I saw negative about it. Maybe I'll find something as we talk about it more, but... Yeah, yeah. I know know you said that uh, you maybe didn't have as many thoughts on this as you usually do, or maybe that you would have liked to. I may be talking a little bit more than you on this (laughs) review here, but... um, I really like the movie, as I have said before, and uh, you knew that I really enjoyed it as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I heard about it, yeah. I think. So there's this really good book that I like, kind of about 70s cinema, called Easy Riders Raging Bulls mm-hmm. by Peter Biskind. I think that's how you say it, I don't know. But uh, it's really, really good. And he mentions like dozens of films from that era, and Hal Ashby and Harold and Maude was one of those. And... I I always wanted to check it out, and I heard it was in the Criterion Collection, which I'm aware of. And when I got the Criterion channel and subscribed to that streaming service, this was one of the first ones that I checked out, and I'm nice. glad that I did. First time, I think as well as maybe you, I was a little taken aback by it. I didn't know what to think. Yeah. But there were certain key elements that really, really made me love it. Um, what about you? Were, like, were there some things that kept you... In, I'd say there were, um, and we could talk about it, of course, later, but some of the characters, I found one of the characters kind of I, just not super enjoyable at times, mm. just weird, and, but that being said, her traits of, just her good traits kind of undermined that, and I could accept, you know, the things that I didn't like as much. If that makes any sense that was very confusing but some things i didn't like were overshadowed by the things i liked more in this movie but i do i did really enjoy it like i said but i just not quite sure how it's gonna sit with me but yeah mm. i don't know it's, nice it's interesting yeah i'm definitely a big fan of that quirky offbeat type movie. yeah um i was this... gonna oh sorry no you're good that this one really uh is definitely quirky and offbeat um but it also just has a lot of heart to it and the more films that i've seen especially from this era i've really come to appreciate this one more and i think it does take a rewatch or two to really get on board with it um like i said that first time i saw it maybe i had some hang-ups was a little bit unsure how to feel about it but this time around i mean i was smiling at the beginning scenes Mm. and kept smiling throughout in fact that opening shot that opening scene i really really love uh it's really inspired by the films of Truffaut and Godard with the long takes it wasn't really done before those 1960s european films and the american sort of new wave took those trends and techniques and really applied them in in interesting ways this one I mean, the first thing you see are, like, Harold's shoes yeah, he's coming down the stairs. Legs. It follows him, and it's really focused on just his feet. Tracks around. He puts on a record. Again, I mean, 
I'll say this out at the uh, at the outset, <clears throat> but the music is really key yes. and it's really the heart and soul of this film. That was one of the big things that I loved about this movie the first time is that Cat Stevens soundtrack. But he puts on a record, he walks over, he lights some candles. No, I think first he, he writes his writes name, tag. name tag. Yeah, he puts his name tag on, don't know why. But that's still I'm so I don't know why. But. Yeah, he lights <laughs> some candles and, and all while this is going on, the camera doesn't cut at all, it's following him, but it's very close up. Um it doesn't just show the room with him walking around and doing mm-hmm. things in the room. It's very much in motion. It's following the very most important things that we need to see. It doesn't give you any more information than you need, but it doesn't give you any less than the absolute necessary. And that's what I really love about this shot is you see his hands put on the record, you know, and then it goes back down to his feet as he walks back across the room. Then it goes up to him lighting the match and lighting the candles. And it goes back and all this, all these different things, um, it, it pays attention to the most important parts of the, of the shot. And, and of course, like we said, he, uh, does act out a few fake suicides to maybe, uh, get under the skin of his mom. And this is the first one. But, uh, what did you think about this opening shot, opening scene? Yeah, I was, I was very, it's a very effective first like cold take or not cold take cold open long take it, it immediately kind of drew me in i was very curious and it leaves a lot to question because it's so confined and close-up shots but then after he hangs himself it's a wide shot of him hanging there in like the corner of this like gorgeous mansion house mm-hmm. and then his mom comes in and it's so surprising because so far we think it's real but yeah then like his mom is like oh harold doing these silly things and like just the way she addresses it <laughs> it's so bizarre i was like my jaw was probably on the floor yeah um it was super strange yeah that's what's really cool about this is you have no idea what he's going to do it's it's really interesting cuz i think if they had showed the room yeah as in a wide shot at the beginning you would have seen the rope hanging there exactly. you would have seen what he was going to do eventually and this, it's very surprising when he just kind of uh-huh. jumps off the chair. Yeah, and... I think that it totally <laughs> adds to it. And I think that's yeah. like, this is a very good moment of when like the camera work and mm-hmm. it adds to what is happening. It's very surprising once it cuts to that wide shot of him hanging there. It's just like, what? Like, what is this movie? Like, yeah. especially if you know nothing about it, I was so confused. Yeah. It actually takes a couple of beats before you realize that it was fake because the mom does walk in. And it's a pretty tense moment. You don't yeah. know what she's going to do, what she's gonna, how she's going to react. And she doesn't see him at first. She just walks into the room and she's doing something on the table. And then she turns and she looks. And that's the moment when a typical movie would have the character scream and yeah. freak out. But she just thinks, she just says, oh, you think you're very funny, Harold. And she just goes about her business and he's just hanging there. He actually starts like making choking noises to like try and sell it more, but... Uh, in the end, she does not care, and uh, it's yeah. kind of funny how they, they, it's almost a double twist, where oh he just hung himself, oh no he didn't it was a trick, it's just True. it was a double. At the same punch. time, I almost was thinking like maybe he, actually still was dying, and now he's just like choking. I thought maybe it was oh almost open to like, this could still be a real thing going on, but I wasn't quite sure. But then of course it's confirmed that. He is just acting these things out. But, yeah. yeah. Taking, a, like, 
continuing on with like these technical details, this movie is brilliantly like it's it's really beautiful. It's really brilliantly shot. Uh, the camera work, I didn't notice it really very much, but from what I did notice, there was lots lots of wide shots, lots of gorgeous scenery and sets. Um, and when we get in like different houses, uh, you see all the different intricacies of the house and mm. in Maud's trailer and in the mansion, there's lots going on to look at and it's the set design is very packed and it's pretty cool. I noticed that. Nice. Um, yeah, I was going to say the set design is yeah. very good. It's almost crowded at times, but it's very well done. I mean, the mansion that they yeah. live in is insanely gorgeous and, it's, it's, and they shot that in a real uh, mansion, but. It's it looks so good, but then yeah, like mods, living yeah, space mm-hmm. and all that was really really good. Yeah, um, the like costuming reminded like it seems that like Wes Anderson may have been influenced by this costuming and like the whole tone of this movie. Like Vanessa, Mister Fox, kind of he kind of dresses in a similar fashion, <laughs> like <laughs> kind of <laughs> not not intended. Good one, but yeah, like. Vanessa Mr. Fox, like, just the costuming of Harold is just very strange. It's always different, and that was something very cool. I mean, Maude yeah. usually wears the same things, but... And, like, the mom, too, has yeah. very weird outfits. There was one moment that I really thought was clever, that uh, when Harold is at the psychiatrist's office, they're literally wearing the same exact Yeah, outfit, I saw that. Down to, like, yeah. the neckerchief and everything. Like, yeah. it's all the same outfit. Super weird, but yeah, like Harold dresses like a old man. He walks around, sort of. He's very almost skeletal. He's like tall and lanky. Yeah, and he's lanky. He's awkward. He's uh, always has a somber and sullen kind of facial expression. Um, obviously, he's very obsessed with death and um, with uh, yeah, death. I loved how he drove <laughs> yeah, the hearse. That was awesome. Yeah. And then when he turns his car that his mom gave him into a hearse, <laughs> that was so funny. It's clever, man. It's so funny. So good. Uh, yeah, I really like all of those little aspects. And I, and I like what Hal Ashby does with this movie because uh, there's a few moments that aren't on the page of the script that I think he really uh, livened up and told more of the story with just visuals. Um, specifically, I think um, with Maude later we get the shot of her arm and she has a tattoo mm-hmm. and it's a number like how they would do in the concentration camps like Auschwitz where uh, it, it reflects something in her past that is more traumatic mm-hmm. and it kind of lines up with, I have a theory about Harold that maybe his dad um, committed suicide or maybe there was an accident with one of his theatrics because the mom tells a story about how the dad would always do these uh, he had his little eccentricities, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe that's why Harold is obsessed with suicide and why he goes to funerals, because maybe he has that deep connection to it. But that's one of the ways that Harold and Maude really connect and relate to each other, is I think they have that similar kind of traumatic background. As well, like Maude's husband has died, so right. that's another aspect to her character. That, or maybe um, many previous lovers. Maybe as well, yeah. I mean, yeah. we know she did have one, but um, yeah, it's it's very clever. And uh, one of the biggest moments for me, as far as technical and filmmaking, was that there was a the contrast shot between they're sitting in the flower bed with all of those. Um, I don't know what flowers they were, maybe daisies, but 
Something like that. Harold was talking about how they're all the same, and Maud says, no, they're not. They're all different. Some of them are taller. Some of them have less petals. Some of them grow left or to the right. Mm-hmm. And she she relates that to humans and people, how... I said humans like I'm some kind of alien <laughs> or whatever. But she relates that to people and how we we don't make the most out of our lives. Maybe we try to blend in with other people. We try to just conform to the norms of the day or whatever, but, um, we kind of miss on life. And I think that was kind of her grander point. Don't remember the exact words that she says, but then it cuts to a shot of them in a similar area. There's just the same color palette going on where in the flower garden, the meadow or wherever they were, there was a sea of green with all these white dots of the flowers. Right. And it cuts over to, also a similarly composed shot of them in a graveyard where the grass is all the green and all the headstones, they're all identical. There's hundreds of them. And it's already a super wide shot, but then the camera zooms back. Yeah, that was crazy. Out, and it's just this massive graveyard. And Harold and Maude almost disappear in the corner. And I really liked the way they compared those two because it seems like it, it emphasizes her point, and that's kind of where I draw that um, connection from, is that she was talking about the people and how we don't live our lives to the fullest. But at the same time, Harold, and especially Maude, are living their lives by who they want to be. They're not listening to what other people think they should do, especially Harold's mother, who yeah. tries to set him up on dates with online dates and all these... The mom is very you know, much trying to push Harold in a certain direction and he is very opposed to that. And I think that's why Maude appeals so much to him is because she's very free. She lives her own life. She does her own thing and she does not care what anybody, even the law, has to say about what she does. Yeah, maybe not the greatest. but <laughs> Also, I also really like that scene. It was very impactful. I did not expect the camera to continually keep zooming out. Like, mm-hmm. it, like you said, it was already a pretty wide shot, but it just kept going and kept going. And that was that was really cool. And yeah, like they shrunk to almost nothing and you could barely see them on the screen. And that was pretty interesting as well. Um, another scene I really liked that stood out to me was his last date when he acts out the Harakiri and he stabs himself. Mm-hmm. And after that, um, then he, he drops the knife when his mom walks in and then she drops the lemonade. Yeah. And that was just kind of an interesting, like similar like composed and parallel shot structure Mm -hmm. and it also kind of added is just like one one of the many really absurd scenes in the movie yeah and something that i do a lot when i think is i like to kind of think out loud like i'm a conversational type learner and as i'm thinking about that shot i wonder why that's important yeah why is that used in the movie i was trying to think of that too something that just came to mind was possibly um it's trying to show you know, the similarity between Harold and Maud, or not Harold and Maud, Harold and his mother. Um, I would have to review hmm. the film to maybe dig deeper on a little bit and kind of note the parallels and the similarities between the two characters. Um, one thing that I noticed about the mother, which maybe is a counterpoint to my thought that I just had now, but uh, she seems very false, the mom. Yeah. She wears a wig, which is a physical... Hmm. Um, technique or demonstration of why she's um kind of putting on a show for other people she speaks these little french words here and there kind of throws them in to maybe seem more sophisticated or fancy than she really is 
she is filling out that questionnaire for him for the online dating. Mm -hmm. And at first she's answering the questions maybe how he would. And it quickly becomes like she's just filling out her own questionnaire as if she was the one applying for this online dating service. And it's just kind of funny how um, it seems like she, like I said before, she just really wants Harold to do what she wants him to do. And that's a little bit, um, I think, a little bit of a fake thing. She's just a very absurd character. And I want to I wanna figure out maybe how her and Harold are similar. Or yeah. At least, and maybe another reason why that scene of him dropping the knife and then her dropping the lemonade. Because they are so very similarly exactly. composed. They have a similar, like, face expression even when they do it. And so... Yeah, it does make you wonder, like, what, what that was for, like, intentionally. Because yeah. I imagine it's intentional. Yeah. That's what... Another interesting thing about this movie is, like, all the characters, you can look at them through so many different lenses. And there's so many different ways to look at the movie through the different characters. And one thing I thought of as well when you were talking about that was... Uh, of the mother's falseness is kind of her surrounding herself like in the mansion compared to Maude in her house and like the things that they keep around them where like I thought about the mom and uh, the mansion and all the physical objects that are kind of empty almost in a way but Maude's things that she has are very meaningful to her and they're very like just the contrast between those two yeah like I don't know exactly how to explain it but I thought that was very interesting yeah and I guess that that ties into the production design like you said before Mm -hmm. that um Harold's house is very spacious and big and almost gaudy in places yeah um you can tell they have a lot of money but it does feel kind of empty it feels very cold um and like there's echoes as people are walking around, and then Maud she lives in like a, it's like an old train car. Or yeah, something. it's a train yeah. car. It's super weird that she's converted into basically a trailer home. It's very cramped. It's very <laughs> cluttered. Extremely. She has lots of things everywhere, uh, but it feels like home. You know, it feels mm-hmm. good and warm and. It feels, like you said, very meaningful. Like, everything here has a purpose. Yeah, she has a story. Yeah, she mentioned something about that, how mm. she doesn't... I think it's after... Because she steals people's cars with her <laughs> key ring. And then yeah. Harold was, like, questioning her about that. And she's like, well, I don't really like to be attached to one thing for too long. I like moving on and, like, doing different things. And that's, like, a big theme in the movie as well. And I like that about her character. And in her home, I think she mentioned something that she's more of, like, a collector. And the things that she does have are, are very meaningful to her. Yeah, um, and Maud is just such a strange character. We could kind of get into her yeah. a little bit. The film is really absurd in ways. That's something that I love about this and, and many other sort of absurdist type films like David Lynch in a sort of darker <laughs> way that uh, there are just moments that happen that almost take you out of the movie and just they're funny a lot of times and sometimes they're just like kind of... Mm-hmm. take you aback like what just happened and they what happen and then they're not really addressed and they just then they move on exactly that's the end of it exactly <laughs> like we talked about how harold always is committing these fake suicide acts and with the first date that his mom brings along um she's talking to the girl and asking her about her studies and all this stuff and in the background outside through the window you can see harold or someone because <laughs> they're far away you can't yeah. tell they, they like cover themselves in gasoline, put a sheet over themselves and then light themselves on fire. And then 
Harold walks in, like, right then. And you can see the person burning in the background as Harold walks into the frame. Yeah, that was crazy. And it's so strange. Like, who is that guy who's burning himself? Like, is that Harold? And how is he here now? And oh, There's so many surprising shots. Yeah. There's uh, a few more with Maude playing the piano, and then she just stands up and starts dancing, and then the piano's still playing itself. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the car going off the cliff. Like, yeah, I don't know how that happened either, because I swear I remember hearing, like, revving of the gas pedal, but then <laughs> if he was standing off to the side, then he couldn't have been re- revving the gas pedal. Yeah, like, I have a theory about this movie that I'll get to okay. uh, maybe at the end, but, yeah, that that was really weird, too, just that closing shot and scene, and, and I think we can probably talk about that a little bit later as well, but, uh, yeah, I liked that piano playing itself thing. Um, there's a scene with an officer on a motorcycle mm-hmm. and he he gets his bike stolen by Maud and Harold and they drive off on it he pulls out his gun and it's like this intense like he's got this stance and he pulls out his gun he aims for a few seconds and then he pulls the trigger and it just clicks there's not even a bullet in there yeah. <laughs> it's like Doesn't what any sense. and they just cut to the next scene and we don't ever hear about that officer again but there's a bunch of those moments they're funny they're strange um the last girl, the third girl that the mom brings from the dating service. Yeah, the Harakiri one. Yeah, she is kind of an actress, and she's always talking about how, yeah, her mentor is so great, and she did Romeo and Juliet on stage, and like she's just kind of very full of herself a little bit. But she almost deflates the power that Harold's little tricks uh, have, because, I mean... At the same time, his mom isn't really that affected by them, but sometimes she gets angry at him for that, for uh, messing around and pretending to commit suicide. Yeah, she just gets sick of it, I think. But I think Harold still gets a bit of a kick out of it. Mm -hmm. And then this girl, she starts playing along, and she almost does it like more over the top than he does, which is really hard to do. Yeah. But (laughs) you can see on his face that he's like, oh, come on, like, that's not fun anymore. Like, you ruined it. <laughs> and uh, I don't think he uh, fakes suicide ever again. I don't think so. In the movie. Maybe, for the... maybe that ruined it totally for Except him. Except for the uh, car. It's true. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah, the characters. Maud. We were talking about Maud a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's very full of life. Very interested in the cycle. She loves to watch things grow. She likes to watch things die. She's fascinated by the whole thing. And she says a few times that, like, 80 is the perfect age to Mm -hmm. die. And uh, how she's 79. And she has a week left, basically. She keeps kind of bringing that up, like, oh, yeah, I have a week left. Or next week it'll all be done. Or, you know, like, just weird things like that. She really foils Harold in that way. How she's very, like, (laughs) pro-life. Not, like, pro-life and what we would say, but she, she loves and appreciates life where Harold is always focused on death and suicide and all that. Yeah, that was a very good, it was very good to have that classic foil and how their characters kind of, not kind of, but how their characters influence each other. Um, I guess Harold didn't really have much influence on Maude because maybe she was already planning on doing that, like killing herself anyways mm. that's kind of interesting but the impact that Maude had on Harold was much greater definitely um how she changed his outlook on life 
which I thought was very cool. That was like definitely one of the best parts of the movie was that transformation, you know, because I, I wondered like what's going to happen to Harold, like keeps doing these things that are going to get increasingly worse, like things like that. But yeah, Maude was the character that I was kind of off put by and maybe mm-hmm. with a second watch after knowing more about it um, and being able to pick up those details because I didn't really notice. I, I, I remembered her saying a few things about being 80 but I never really noticed. But then once it started paying off on her birthday and she was saying like, oh, it's think this is the best farewell, things like that. I was like, oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. And then you're mentioning and you're mentioning that. So definitely be interesting to rewatch it. But like I said, she was one that I kind of was off put by. But uh, I found those qualities not as important, like her her annoyances that I had. I found them not as big as I thought they were just because like her other qualities redeemed her i guess yeah and i i like her character because i think it's it's meant to teach harold a lot and teach the audience a lot but also it's kind of meant to jolt us out of our complacency or whatever especially the people at the time in the 70s the early 70s this is kind of the beginning of that american new wave of cinema where people hadn't seen anything like this before. I mean, not only is it a story about a young man who falls in love with an old old woman, uh, but it's also a story about, you know, a young man who is more, like, formal and maybe more adult-like than Maude, who's supposed to be the maybe mentor figure or positive role model or whatever you want to say. But she is, like, more of the hippie type. Yeah. She's very free, and um, she doesn't follow rules or laws, and she always has kind of a a counter-opinion to what the society at the time would say. And I I found that really interesting, that it's, it's almost meant to provoke you as the audience and make you question, you know, what values do I have and what... um why do I live the way I do? And am I trying to conform or do I truly live my own life as my own person? And that, that's something that I like to think about uh, just in terms of my own life. So, yeah, what about you? True. Yeah, I loved the way that Maud was more of the kid than Harold. I think that's super interesting and very non-traditional and subversive of, you know, typical uh, movies and tropes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, in terms of her life and, like, her philosophies, it definitely provoked a lot of thought about, you know, how I live my life, as you were saying with you. Very similar. It made me question, like, yeah, am I conforming to what other people think or expect from me? Or do I want to be more individualistic and more free? And I really liked that about Maud's character and her, you know, living each day as it comes. And that's kind of a kind of a cliche thing maybe at this point but mm-hmm. I think it's super important and, and also very interesting just like how we live each day and what we what we do in situations where maybe we should just be a little bit more loose and just have fun and maybe not break the laws maybe not go to the quite the extent that she goes to I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's cars. I don't think that's smart but <laughs> I, I think uh her philosophies and her character has a, has a lot of merit and definitely provoked my thoughts a lot made me reflect very much yeah, and her her thoughts on, like, trying new things mm-hmm. is something that I really gravitate towards. Uh, I'm someone who 
really likes to like try new foods for example exactly like foreign yeah. food and just like the weird stuff at restaurants i always like that and uh i try to do that a little bit more like in regular life and in other things but maybe don't exceed quite so well as Maud might yeah she loves whatever's a new experience uh, she's never ridden that little roller coaster. Yeah, I like yeah the uh, the tequila scene from Sandlot. Yeah, totally. Type roller coaster. Totally. Except this time, these characters weren't chewing and swallowing. I was waiting. I was waiting for them to start chewing and then you know puke over the edge, but yeah. it just never never played out. I think that was the wrong movie, <laughs> but it does um, happen. Was that in the Sandlot. that wasn't held on? Yeah. <laughs> My bad. Sandlot. Uh, <laughs> all the pros do it. No. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that that was a new experience for her, and I think that emphasizes and solidifies her point about consistency. That uh, you know maybe we're not supposed to do the same things. Maybe we're not supposed to follow in the footsteps of everybody else, and we should just do what we want to do. But uh, yeah, I mean these characters are great. Obviously, Harold is the protagonist here. He's the one who progresses and changes the most. He learns that Maud's outlook on life definitely has merit. He learns that, uh, you know, life is worth living and um, that it's possible to love someone and to grow up. And you don't have to grow up and be like everybody else. You can grow up, but also still be, know, a kid. Still be childlike uh, in ways. <laughs> and I, I like that about Harold, especially where his mom is almost the villain character, I guess, in a way, as well as yeah. his uncle, who's the one-armed military officer who's <laughs> very funny um in multiple scenes we haven't brought him up yet yeah also but, very absurd yeah at times <laughs> yeah but as we said like the music plays a big part in the movie and like a lot of the lyrics of the songs like yeah. if you want to be free be free and oh yeah those type of songs um and yeah so you know and the music yeah it plays a big part in, definitely yeah. i think the music i think i said already that it's kind yeah. of the heart and soul of this movie it's really one of the things that kept my attention even on this one it, this is uh that's one of the factors of the aspects of the movie that made me smile the most and mm. just i've been listening to the soundtrack all day today just thinking about it and i think cat stevens he was chosen uh to do the music he wasn't really the first choice but once hal ashby settled on him um they selected a lot of his previously written songs for the movie and that's most of the ones that are featured but he wrote two specifically for the movie. Hmm. I think um, definitely if you want to sing out, sing out. And then I think um, Trouble, the one where, spoiler, Maud commits suicide for real. And it's playing when Harold is in the ambulance, in the ambulance. and okay. when he's at the hospital. Huh. It's like a very sad song and kind of... Um, like a lot of those Cat Stevens songs in this movie has a little tinge of anger which I think fits right into the historical context of the movie. This, like we said, came out in that American new wave, that new During Hollywood. During the 70s, we should say. Yeah, the, the American 70s mm -hmm. were quite the uh, revolutionary time. I guess the social revolution was already kind of had its feet, mm -hmm. but films were just starting to take off. The auteur theory from France and Europe were beginning to sink its teeth into American cinema and Hal Ashby was one of those who decided to play a little bit with um, the art of cinema and tell his own story in his own way 
he's a very countercultural yeah. sort of icon at the time. And he he definitely I think this movie has a bit of a bit of a bit of a bite to it, I guess you could say. Uh, especially towards the military and towards uh, adult and society, you know, culture and all that. Yeah, and like with Maud's outspokenness, and I think that's probably kind of reflective of Hal Ashby and others during the time, you know, hippies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe more in the 60s, late 60s, but then yeah. you know, through the 70s, of course. Um, and that's something like with the music, it feels very groovy and hippie, and it's very weird. Like, not not weird. I don't know why I said that, but it's very like the music adds a lot to the tone and the feel of the movie, and it 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 feels very much like a time period piece, but also it does kind of feel modern in a way. Like this could have been made maybe more recently, but definitely like you were saying with the historical context, there's a lot at play here of like undertones of Vietnam War and uh, you know, pokes at uh, adults and and you know things like that. <laughs> yeah. Um... Matt Zoller cites he is a very sort of famous film and TV critic. He wrote an essay that's included in the Criterion Collection edition of the movie. Uh, I actually happen to own this one as part of my collection. So I was reading this last night and a line stood out to me where he says, um, the Hal Ashby's Harold and Maude about the love between a suicidal young man of about 20 and an almost 80 year old widow is timeless in part because it never quite belonged to its own time. Um, I like that because it's it was conceived and, and written and all that in the 60s, in the late 60s, but it came out in 71 where, um, I mean, it wasn't such a mainstream idea anymore that, I mean, the height of that hippie culture and everything was like 67, 68. Mm-hmm. I think another movie, uh, there's a character played by Peter Fonda who says that the 60s, as we know it, was really just like 68 and early 67. Like that, or <laughs> 67 and early 68, I think he says. Anyway, um, it's uh, it's interesting, like what you said. I mean, the production and the filmmaking and the themes, it, it feels 70s, but at the same time, it feels almost like timeless, like it could fit anywhere. Um, the clothes that Harold wears are like, yeah, really, uh, they're pretty 70s. Style, Mainly the but... clothes and the music really makes me like think, yeah, this is definitely a 70s movie. Yeah. But I mean, it could have been made any other time, I think. And all the story and things are very universal to everybody, of course. Yeah. But I really love this era of cinema. You know, I think it's, the true golden age of American movies. Um, it features probably some of the best movies that have ever been made, especially American movies. But um, this one maybe a little bit more overlooked. Not a lot of people really know about it. I think a lot of people know about Bonnie and Clyde and right. The Graduate, um, some of the two earliest some movies of, of this era. Late 60s, early 70s, yeah. Yeah, and then of course, I mean, Coppola's movies, The Two Godfathers. Um, Scorsese's Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and then later with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg I mean those hit big mainstream success Mm -hmm. so I think Hal Ashby gets a little bit overlooked during this time he made a couple others that I have yet to see I will see them but for now I've only seen this and uh, I think it's definitely deserving of a mention within all those other great films of the era 
Yeah, for sure. I definitely would never have heard about this if it weren't for you and weren't for the Criterion Collection, of course. And it's a fantastic release. The transfer is beautiful and all the supplements. I'm excited to hopefully dig into them in the future um, to get some more context of this. Yeah. But yeah, um, 70s aren't really a decade that I've watched too many movies from. It's kind of like your decade. and uh, But this is a very good one that, I, of course, I'd never heard of. And I'd probably say it's it's very underlooked and underappreciated. But as we've said, you know, the, the themes are very universal yeah. and very thought-provoking. Yeah. And yeah. before we kind of close out this episode, let's just mention that closing scene, that closing shot. Uh, this is right after Maude dies. He's pretty upset. He's driving his car really fast. It's a Jaguar that he turned into a hearse. Yeah. Speeding down a dirt road. <clears throat> and you're kind of wondering what's going to happen. And you see a it's really like intercut. wide... Isn't it intercut? It's like him driving angrily in like the rain and like different and it's like intercut with something else i thought it was i don't think so i think it's uh just that i think it was like him at the hospital there was a few scenes in between like the doctor telling him that Maud had passed and that was kind of intercut with him like driving on different roads and then we get to the like dirt roads up in the hills hmm. i'm not sure but maybe we'll have to review that definitely hmm. the last few minutes are mm-hmm. just uh scene by scene just him driving and okay. uh it cuts to a super wide shot of a cliff, and that's when I got really scared. I actually didn't remember how this movie ended, and so, you know, I was I was thinking about it, like, huh, what would happen if he killed himself? Like, what was, how would that change what the movie has said so far about everything? Yeah. And then the car flies off the edge of the cliff, and you get that freeze frame, almost like a Thelma and Louise moment, where the car just freeze frames over the edge of the cliff. You hear the sounds, and then typically I feel like that's where it would end. Like, it would kind of just leave it open-ended. But then motion continues, and the car falls and smashes, like, upside down onto the bottom of the cliff. Pretty brutal. I mean, I I thought he was dead. What about you? Oh, yeah. I thought he was dead. Like you said, I was, like, reconsidering everything I just watched. I was, like, another moment where my jaw was probably on the floor. I was, like, what, like... And I, I thought of, like, Shakespeare movies. Mm. Or not, pff, Shakespeare movies. <laughs> Shakespeare. Yeah, I mean, he was a good director. Okay, okay. He, there are movies based on Shakespeare. Right. But I thought of, you know, like, Romeo and Juliet, just, like, mm-hmm. tragic endings where the characters both commit suicide or one after the other because the other's dead and they can't live without them. And I kind of thought that was what he was doing, you know? Like, Maud's dead, she was the one I loved, and, like, mm-hmm. that, ki- that kind of idea. And so I was very surprised. Yeah. But then we get one more shot. Of Harold standing on the edge of the cliff. Phew. <laughs> I guess he jumped out of the car at one point. I don't know how they it did that. The it's another one of those like magic tricks, like the gasoline scene. I don't know how. Yeah, I actually rewound it to see if you could see him standing there before the car went over. But there's he, there's, he's nowhere to be seen on the edge of the cliff, which affirms a theory that I have. Uh, but real quick, he pulls out his banjo and he starts playing the, if you want to sing out, sing out the main theme Mm -hmm. song, basically, as he strolls away a little happily, Uh and that's the end of the movie. It was another, uh, like, long take. It, like, Mm kind of reminded me of Sound of Music and The Seventh Seal, you know, that last scene of them all, like, dancing on the the hill? But, yeah, anyways, tangent. (laughs) Okay, so my theory is, I don't know at what point this happened, but I think Harold might be dead (sighs) the whole time. (laughs) And you're actually serious about this, it's not like a joke. I actually am serious. I think there's some evidence 
uh, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly when, but there's a moment in the movie where a character references how he's like dead and he's kind of, uh, I don't know. He has a fascination with death. He commits suicide fakely a bunch of times, but I think it's possible that he um, either is dead the whole time or that last scene, his car actually does fly off of the edge and then his like ghost spirit or whatever mm. appears at the top and is like happy and strolls off to whatever. Yeah. I'm going to have to revisit it and confirm or deny uh, this theory that I have going now, but I thought it was worth a mention. Even on the cover of the Criterion uh, collection, it seems like maybe Maud is like some kind of like angel who's carrying him through the afterlife a little yeah. bit and like preparing him for uh, whatever. Like you get a lot of, on the left-hand side of the cover, there's all of his various suicide uh, attempts or whatever. And then on the right, he's walking with Maud kind of holding his hand and leading him. And Dude, uh, and didn't... So she's holding an umbrella, and during, like, the funerals, you know, the umbrella? Dude. Yeah. Why would she be carrying an umbrella otherwise? I, I think... Did she, didn't she have a yellow umbrella at one of the funerals? Maybe. One time she was, like, the only one with a colorful umbrella, but... Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's Like I said, there's, like, so many different lenses you could look at this movie. It's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those uh, great... Uh, things about movies that I really love is finding, you know, different perspectives and different themes that are going on, um, looking for little clues that might hint into something different that's happening. Mm -hmm. And whether or not it was intentional, I don't think it really matters because I think that once someone has made a film and it, it exists as a piece of art, then everyone else is entitled to interpret it in however way they want to as long as it makes sense as long as there's evidence to back it up but yeah i think that's a good place to wrap up um we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back with our what has been entertaining us this week all right bro stick around back nice. nice little break there always good to re-energize yeah so we're back with our world famous segment of bro what has been entertaining you this week nice so should i start or do you want to go oh uh, go ahead sweet thank you very much let me just pull up mine while i'm waiting okay so my first pick this week was monsieur hulot's holiday this is 1953, and this is directed by Jacques Tati. Um, this, Jacques Tati has been another one of my directors that I've wanted to dig into, um, especially French directors, one of the most acclaimed, and I've heard such great things about his later films that you got to start at the beginning. So mm -hmm. I've watched his shorts in the past, uh, his first few short films. Now this is his first feature length. Um, it was very interesting. I don't think I've watched anything quite like it. Just the the tone and the feeling, it's super laid back, super chill. It's it's a holiday movie. It's about just, it's a random, like, series of distinct bits of uh, Hulot and 
his holiday, you know? Oh, wow. Wow, wow you never would have guessed. <laughs> um, it's very strange. Uh, one of the coolest ideas that this film has is that Hulo has every intention to, like, do the right thing, but he's just, like, so awkward and just doesn't have the next, like, step to do, like, what his intent, like, follow through with his intentions. And I think that's, like, a pretty relatable theme to, like, uh, me especially, and, you know, it's pretty a universal theme of, like, we want to all do the right thing and be a good person, but sometimes we just don't know how or can't, you know, follow up on those, you know, feelings. And that was kind of an interesting take on that movie. Uh, there's a few times I bust out laughing uh, closer to the end because a lot of the comedy is like pretty sparsely, like it's just like light throughout. And there's just one scene at the end that's just like so funny. It's just like one thing after the next happens. And the weirdest thing about him is just his mannerisms and stuff. It's su He's such a weird dude. But I, I started watching uh, Mon Oncle, uh, my uncle, and uh, I totally pronounced that very bad, but uh, <laughs> I'm American, but... Uh, yeah, my uncle, I started watching that. It's very interesting. That one's in color, so it's a way mm. different. Like, Toddy uses color very well. And that, that, like, that movie, my uncle, and I'm excited to watch, like, um, Playtime and Traffic. Those ones are just, like, style, stylistically, like, peak movies. Like, they're so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited. Um, so that was my first one. And then the next one is Sherlock Jr. This is by Buster Keaton, and it's from 1924. So, as I've talked about many times, I'm a big fan of Charlie Chaplin. I know you've seen some Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Both. He made it on my top ten favorite comedies list. Um, true. Shout out to a previous episode. Reference that episode if you want to hear those. Yes. Um, City Lights by Chaplin made it on, on, on that list. Pretty high up, actually. Uh, I, I, I've become quite a big fan of silent comedies um, from this era in the early you know, 10s and 20s, 30s era. And I have a few of them. And Buster Keaton has been one that's that I've been getting into. I watched a few video essays. There's one by Every Frame of Painting about Buster Keaton and the art of the gag. He's such a master at the effects that he uses and how he falls through on his gags. It's insane. It's like Jackie Chan level um, dedication to getting it just perfect. Hmm. And a lot of the times when I watch his movies, I wonder like, how did he do that? Like some of the effects and things he does still last and are uh, still very fascinating today. And definitely in Sherlock Jr. there's quite a few of those. Um, I didn't feel like it was tackling anything serious or dark. It was a pretty fun movie, and it used the dream sequence and, like, daydreaming aspects pretty well, and it was very enjoyable. Um, so that was a really good one. Sherlock Jr., Buster Keaton. Nice. Recommend. Yeah, uh, going back to your thoughts on Jacques Tati, uh, he's only directed, like, five feature yeah. films in his career. Very, like, non-prolific. And uh, I'm I'm curious to get into some of his work. Yeah. I haven't seen anything by him yet, but uh, he's he's a famous uh, one of those famous French directors. So oh, I yeah. want to check him out. Cool. And also Buster Keaton. I like the silent films. I like those uh, Chaplin movies, like you said. So mm -hmm. I want to check out some Buster Keaton. I do have some of his films on my Amazon Prime nice list right now. Yeah, so. and I've only watched a few. I've watched one Harold Lloyd movie. But there's a new, there's a collection on Criterion Channel now with Harold Lloyd, so I'll be checking that out soon. But definitely filling in some gaps on those other people besides Chaplin, because I've seen like ten of Chaplin's things now. So nice. Yeah, sweet. What about you? What's been entertaining you recently? Cool. Uh, well, I wanted to highlight one that should come as no surprise that it's totally great. Uh, I'm a big fan of this director and his work. I've seen a few of his films now, and some I appreciate more than I like. Some I really actually love, 
and uh, I'm excited to see the rest. This one I've heard is one of his highest rated ones, one of his best. It is Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Ooh, nice. Uh, it's from the 50s, so it might get brought up later on when we discuss our 50s movies, but this movie is so amazing. It really caught me by surprise because the first time I saw it, uh, I wasn't really in a good headspace to watch it. I thought it was pretty boring. I fell asleep. Um, and I, I definitely didn't have the patience mm. to get to the really, really tense moments of it. It's one of those that rewards patience. And I think Hitchcock kind of plays with that a little bit, the audience's um, mood and uh, all that. But the story is interesting. It's about a guy who you know, doesn't really have anything else to do but watch mm-hmm. the neighbors. And then he stumbles upon a crime and he starts investigating it. Um, that, that tension comes very heavily later on when his girlfriend, Liza, Lisa, played by Grace Kelly, who is absolutely stunning, <laughs> uh, one of the most gorgeous actresses of all time uh she starts helping him out and um there's a moment of true and genuine danger in the movie i really like the fact that and again obviously like most people who've heard about this film they know that the entire thing is shot from inside of his apartment the camera never leaves his Mm -hmm. apartment except for one or two shots during the climax uh which is actually really effective in that moment that the camera leaves his apartment. It adds to that tension, that uh, the climactic moment of the movie and um, really, really is effective. Uh, yeah, I think this is one of my favorite Hitchcock movies so far nice. and I don't, wanna, I don't wanna go too deep into uh, this one quite yet because obviously I might bring it up. I haven't quite formulated that list yet, still working on it. But yeah, I really wanted to highlight that. It, it really blew me away. And then on another end, I mentioned I've been watching a lot of horror movies lately. Mm-hmm. This is my American Cinema Project. And one contemporary horror movie that I've heard a lot about that I was really looking forward to is a movie called Mandy. Ooh, nice. This stars, I've also heard lots of good things. stars Nicolas Cage and I forget the actress's name. I can picture her face, but I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But Nicolas Cage... Um, he plays a guy who is basically just living in a little cabin with his wife and um, they are having quite a peaceful, tranquil experience or, you know, living situation and bad things happen and he kind of goes on a revenge. Uh, it's really satisfying. It's pretty gory. It's not quite as gory as maybe I expected it to be. But there are moments when I laughed out loud how awesome some of the scenes were. He yes. actually fashions himself this giant metal axe thing that he uses to kill people in different ways. It's kind of like a multi-tool axe Sweet. with like different uh, different pieces to it that uh, do different things and cause bodily harm to his attackers in very creative and clever ways but it the way that he polishes it it looks like this giant just chrome almost like a spine it looks Mm. so cool and there's one scene it's not a spoiler to say he throws it at a guy and there's just a shot of it tumbling through the air this giant chrome axe just sailing through the air and hitting a guy in the head and it's pretty awesome. That sounds epic. Uh, yeah, I'm realizing more lately that I really like 
kind of those gory movies, like the horror stuff with, you know, the the body horror kind of thing. And Mandy did not disappoint in that department. Nice. Yeah, for good things, but that's one that I'll get into later. Yeah. By the way, yeah, yeah. the actress is mm-hmm. Andrea Riseborough, so nice. she was great in it, as was Nicolas Cage. I mean, the Cage rage is real, you guys. <laughs> it's uh, pretty awesome to watch. Yeah, I wanted to watch Color Out of Space, but oh yeah, it's kind of limited. I'll have to check that out. It's sweet, yeah. I've heard lots of good things about Mandy. Yeah. That's good that it has been affirmed by someone that I trust. So, <laughs> Super <laughs> trippy, super... You know, oddball, something that's right up my alley. I don't know if a movie could be any more up my alley than this. <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Sweet, bro. Well, it was a good discussion about Harold and Maude and good, um, good stuff we've been watching. Yeah. Um, Looking forward to our next week episode. Yes. We're starting off our Pixar project, am yeah. I right? Yeah, starting off Pixar with the first fully computer animated movie. And uh, mm-hmm. this is Toy Story. So... When did that one come out? That? Was it 91 or 90? 99. Was it 99? 90, no, it was like 97, I think. It's, okay. It was it's right late, around It was there. late 90s, but not quite 99. I think that was Bugs Life was 99. But Toy Story is 95, okay. 95, wow, earlier than I thought. Cool, cool. and then Toy Story 2 is 99, so. But yeah, right. 95, yeah, John Lasseter. So, yeah, we're looking forward to talking about that. And then at the end of the month, we're going to be talking about our five from the 50s. Maybe not necessarily like a ranked list, but kind of yeah. maybe just a discussion about some of our five, you know, honorable mentions and favorites, I guess. Yeah, I don't think we want to rank them. Uh, I haven't seen nearly enough 50s movies yeah. to really have a definitive, exactly. Uh, you know, list. And also, you know, I sometimes I just like not ranking. I just like yeah. highlighting ones mm-hmm. that I like. And so I think... We'll probably find 10 unique movies between the two of us yeah. that we like and want to highlight. Um, so we're kind of working on that right yeah, now, I've seeing some older 50, mm-hmm. 50s movies. Part of the reason I watched Rear Window. But yeah, look forward to that coming down the pipeline pretty soon. Yep. And uh, be sure to tell your friends. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. Helps a ton. You have no idea. We can reach new listeners and help grow the show. Uh, we love doing this. It's always going to be free. So, you know, um, support us if you can and just by, just by, uh, listening and Tune telling in. your friends. Yeah. Yep. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, that's all we have for this week. So peace out. See you, bro. See ya.